Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Bridgehead at AM 530 at 1.30 p.m. My name is Jonathan Van Maren, and I'm the Communications Director for the Canadian Centre for Bioethical Reform. Now, those of you who have been following this show weekly will know that this show is really all about examining the fight for human rights, the, you know, the current culture wars in which we fight uh, for pre-born children, and past battles in which other movements fought for the rights of marginalized human beings, be that the civil rights movement, be that those who have fought to save people during World War II or the Rwandan genocide or any number of other historical events. And we really like to go through the history of social reform and the history of these movements to find out where they succeeded, you know, where they triumphed, you know, where they failed, what mistakes they made, so that we can learn from their mistakes as we move forward here in the year 2014. Now, if any of you want to listen to past interviews that we've done, we would encourage you to go to unmaskingchoice.ca and go to the blog and then click on the Bridgehead Radio Program where all of these interviews are uploaded. They're also on YouTube at Canadian CBR if you want to check us out there. And you can also subscribe weekly to our radio show on iTunes. Now, today's interview is with a woman that many of you may recognize. Her name is Immaculate Ilabagiza, and she is a survivor of the Rwandan genocide. She's very famous for her book, Left to Tell, in which she describes her experience during the 1994 Rwandan genocide, where she survived hidden for 91 days with seven other women in a small bathroom, no larger than three feet long and four feet wide. Uh, the bathroom was concealed in a room behind a wardrobe in the home of a Christian Hutu pastor. Immaculate's story is, is really quite incredible. Of all the interviews I've done, I think this one uh, touched me the most as when she described you know, how she forgave the man who murdered her family. It's just, it's just an absolutely phenomenal story. So I really want all of you to, to listen very closely because I think the message that Immaculate has for us is one that each and every one of us can take heart. So here's the interview with Immaculate Ilabagiza. Thank you so much for being with us. First off, Immaculate, can you tell our listeners just a bit about your story, a bit about the story that you tell in your book, Left to Tell? Thank you again for having me. Well, the story I share about in Left to Tell is about the story how I survived the genocide in Rwanda. You know, the genocide happened in 1994, and in Rwanda, this is a small country located in the center of Africa. Mm-hmm. So in 1994, I was a student in college. And I was supposed to be home for Easter holiday. So I went home for Easter holiday because I was um, in a boarding school. So during the week, three days before I went back to school, the president of our country died. And from that moment on, the government had planned to kill people of my tribe. This is like something that happened to Jews, really. So in the country, in the country we had two main tribes, Kutu and Tutsis. And I belonged to the tribe of Tutsis that was the tribe that was not on the power. So, but the other tribe, just like Hitler, what he did, they wanted to eliminate this one, ours, so that we never have to challenge them for the power. Anytime you went to school and you had a bad diploma, you were already challenged. They mm-hmm. had to kill you so that you don't ever ask for more. Mm-hmm. So this one time, I just decided to kill everybody. I remember in my family, I was one girl among three boys, but I had my mom and dad who were both teachers and on the second day after the whole thing was started, they sent me to hide to a neighbor from the Hutu tribe who was not the target. And there were really many great people. Not even half of the Hutu tribe was killing, not even a quarter. I truly don't believe so. 
Mm -hmm. It was the government was killing in the name of the Hutu tribe. Mm -hmm. So my parents and me, a man who was a neighbor and was good, he sent me there and my dad and my mother came to me one time and, you know, I come from a Catholic family, he handed me the rosary beads and he said, go. Mm -hmm. I mean, I wanted to go back home and pick up my purse and look for a book I can take with me. He's like, no, don't look back, go. Now, I went with the clothes I had on, the bit of the rosary in my hand. I'm looking at my parents. I remember looking at them and something is telling me, look well, you will never see them. Mm -hmm. And I'm fighting inside. Why should I not see them? Oh, this is just my mind. Something again, look well, this is the last time. Mm -hmm. That day I left, went to the neighbor. It was the last time I ever saw them. Right. Yeah. And then the neighbor, as I understand it, was a pastor who hid you and a number of other women in a bathroom. Yeah. So he was a Hutu tribe, a good person. He was a Protestant pastor, was a friend of my family. So he put me to sit in the bathroom, three by four feet, with the seven women. And he told us not to talk, not to make any noise, not even to flush the water of the bathroom until somebody else is flushing the water in the next bathroom. Mm -hmm. He told his children that he lost the key of the bathroom. So that's how we seemed okay to be there. And we didn't know each other. We didn't need to know each other. You know, when you go through such a hard time, all you really need to know is you are human beings who are facing same challenge. Mm -hmm. Names and where you come from become so much less. So we sat there. I remember he said it will last two days, three days, you know, just in time of trouble to go away. It lasted three months. Mm -hmm. Three months. And I wish I knew it was going to be three months. Right. You know, because I mean, at least we could have said, oh, time is coming. But every single day, we were expecting to be killed. And every single day, we thought, Maybe it's going to be the end of our life the same day. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's going to be a year. Maybe it will be 10 years. But the fear of too much long is that we didn't think the man can keep us that long. Mm -hmm. So it was a three months of silence, three months of deep prayer, three months of growing. Like, I feel like I grew up like a hundred years. You know, when everything you ever believed in changes the meaning. Right. You know, things where you pulled the advertisement, where you thought this is the way, all of a sudden everything changed. And the only thing stayed, the highlight of everything I came up with in my bathroom was, above all, love, love, love is everything. Mm -hmm. Did you know what was going on outside? We, I knew what was going on outside. Well, one way, the, the people in the house were talking to each other, so they didn't know we were there. And this man had a big family. He had 10 children and grandchildren, and everybody came back home to stay there by him. They were sleeping outside in the courtyard. I mean, this was is a very good weather in Rwanda, mm -hmm. like 80 degrees throughout the year. So, you know, another way we knew what was going on was the radio. The one time I remember the man who was hiding us, he came to us and asked, I asked him if he can put radio outside so we can hear what's going on. He put three radios, different channels. I couldn't believe what was going on. The leaders of the country have given order to go out, not on a private radio, on a national radio, not hiding their names, saying who they are. Smart people, they were calling everybody to kill anyone that looked like us, anybody. I remember one man one time he said, 
don't forget the children. A child of a snake is a snake. So we must eliminate everybody. Yeah, so, so we knew what was going on. People talking about it. I remember one time, um, somebody actually kind of started to describe how they killed the boy. Mm-hmm. You know, the age of my brother, who have just finished his master's. And I'm thinking, it cannot be. It can't be. But you can't know, I knew, but then on the other side, I had the strength to stop myself from crying. Because if I cry, then people will hear me. Mm-hmm. So I don't know how really we have that strength as human beings, but it looks like you do. Right. Right. Yeah. And then you actually write in your book, Left to Tell, about how eventually you actually tracked down the man who was responsible for killing members of your family. What was that experience like? Yeah, so it was huge for, as you can imagine. Well, during the time I was in the bathroom, I, I experienced so many things growth in my heart, and one of them being like being able to forgive, because I had so much anger. We were being searched to be killed. They came to the door of the bathroom. So every day was like in just as hard. But three months later, I come out, I found out everybody in my family was killed. My mom, my dad, my brothers, my grandparents, a million people were killed in a period of three months. So now I had to search how to live, which was completely like a miracle. It wasn't that I knew anyone anymore, but someone came who knew my mom, took me to her home. Soon after I found a job with United Nations, which she lived next door to the United Nations, so I started through for a job there. Mm-hmm. And so from there, I went back to my village to see if anyone even knew what was going on, who took what from my home, who they destroyed the house. And they told me someone who killed my family was actually in prison. I went to the prison, the head of the jail was a friend of my father, and I remember meeting the man who killed. Oh my gosh. I was sitting there, the head of the prison, he told me, if he comes, when he comes, you can do whatever you want of him. Hit him, kick him, do whatever. But my heart has experienced such a deep understanding about forgiveness and love. I feel like I don't need to be like the one who is hurting me. I don't need to compete with evil. I don't need to be like the one who doesn't love to be able to defend myself. Mm-hmm. So that was a really deep peace. But I wasn't sure what was going to happen if I really see him in my face. So when I saw this man in my face, I remember he was, he used to be such a good guy, like many people I see, dressed nice, had a great family, children my age. If he ever tell me to do something, I would do it out of respect as a father. Mm-hmm. Now, he was in the prison coming from the corridor where he was sitting. He, his food was swollen, he had lost weight. His hair was upside down because they haven't shaved in six months. He, it was just bad. And when he came, I just started to cry. I couldn't believe that this man can do this to himself. And that's really when I realized if he couldn't love himself enough to protect him from that, how can he love me? Right. So it was such an enlightenment. It's about love. You don't have love, you will damage not only people, but yourself too. And me fighting him doesn't stop the bad idea. Because this is something that goes on from country to country, from people to people. Mm-hmm. So when I saw him, I cried and I touched him. I offered him forgiveness. And the way I offered him forgiveness, it wasn't like 
reconciliation. Let's go out. Because we didn't talk. I didn't know what was in his mind. Did he even change his mind? Does he know what he did? Can he still kill people? What was in my heart was just free him from you. From him being thinking you are angry. Let him be. Think of him and what he have done. More than thinking of, oh my, look at who I hurt. How am I going to escape that? And when I told him I forgave him, he dropped his face. He covered it. He couldn't look at me anymore. And before when he came in the room, he was like, I don't care, you know, you know that kind of face. <clears throat> arrogant and I killed I'm here, I'm suffering, who cares? Mm-hmm. When I told him I forgave him, he put his hand in his face. I can feel something came out of him. And the man who was there, the head of the jail, was so angry. So I left quickly. He was angry with me. He told me, like, do you remember what they did to us? Do you even care? I'm like, oh, I'm sorry. I just left. I, that's all really I had to give him. So I left. A year later, and this is really why I wrote it. I, I, I shared the story of the world because for me, that was my weakness. Mm-hmm. I was so sure it's okay if I'm weak. At least I feel peace within. If I'm weak to forgive, that's fine. A year later, the man who was the head of the jail, he came to look for me and asked, telling me to thank me because of that day I forgave the man. I'm like, you thank me? I couldn't remind me. He's like, no. I know I was confused, but everything changed my heart then. And that man to this day is a friend. Right. What did it feel like to forgive him? Because just like the jailer got angry, one of the things that makes your story so exceptional is people can't really understand how somebody can do uh, you know, such evil things uh, to you and to your family, and that your first reaction when you saw him was pity, and then uh, you followed that by forgiveness. Did that come naturally to you, or was it a very conscious, rational decision? You know, you know when I was in the bathroom, I definitely was angry. I was angry for a long time. I told if I come out, I would be a soldier, I would go and revenge my family. And I thought it was a horrible thing mm-hmm. to do, you know, to, hurt, to, to just revenge. That is what you do when somebody hurt your mom. That what I thought was okay. But slowly as I'm thinking, wait a minute, I'm hating even children who are, who are not born. Mm-hmm. Because you know when you hate, it becomes a sickness. Mm-hmm. You don't hate the person alone who did hurt you. You hate everyone who looks like them. You, you see them, you, you, you blow and roar faster. Mm-hmm. You hate stuns. I'm like, I was feeling all that, and I'm sweating out of anger, and I'm thinking, nobody touched me. And yet, my own thoughts are provoking my heart to be faster. Mm-hmm. So it really started to think, and, and, and one time, I, I just remember I was meditating on the words, Jesus Christ said on the cross when he said, they don't know what they do. Mm-hmm. Forgive them, they don't know what they do. When those words, they don't know what they do, I started really thinking deep about them. What do you mean? They don't know what they do. They don't know what they do. Yeah, they don't care it. How can someone kill a child and think that they know what they're doing? Mm-hmm. And you, getting angry, does not change one thing. Do you hate the people or do you hate what is being done? If this was done 10 years after to another person, will you love it? No. Mm-hmm. The best way is it to eliminate one person or eliminate the idea of hatred. Right. So somehow it just became clear and I really understood. 
stood right there, the, the position of Mandela, the position of Gandhi, is not about people, it's about the evil. And the people in themselves, they change. Like me, I was changing, I was becoming another person every single day. Mm-hmm. And if I can change and see the right when I saw wrong before, what about another person? So anybody has a capacity to change, including the killers. Mm-hmm. And to see wrong they have done and now do the right thing. Mm-hmm. When I saw that, I realized the challenge and the really challenge for the whole world is not about the who to who is killing, it's about the hatred that confuses people, no matter who they are. And I couldn't hate those people alone anymore. I just, I was more sad for this confusion, this, this lies that gets in the, in the heart of people, which can change and become in the mind of a brother, of your own mother, can, can become that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, so it, it, the whole thing, the understanding came when I was in the bathroom. So when I saw the man, it was almost like something was confirming what I saw, what I thought about. You mm-hmm. see, how can he know what he was doing? Mm-hmm. How can he bring himself here? It's about hatred. It's not about this guy. Mm-hmm. But if this guy dies now, there may be a million more who are still thinking like him. And who need to change their mind? Because now I know people are not evil. People do evil things. But they can change their mind. So it was a long process of thinking. And, and when I was able to think that way lovingly and to really see things as they are, it felt like a huge luggage was lifted from my shoulders. Mm-hmm. I was completely free. I feel like I had permission to love. I have permission to, to make friends, no matter who they are, no matter where they come from, what race, what tribe. But it's not about the group of people. It's about individuals who choose bad, mm-hmm. but not about the people who come from that area, who come from that tribe, who come from that religion. It's about individuals. Right. That really changed everything, and I had so much peace. I had so much love in my, my heart. To this day, my best friend is a Hutu. She is the best thing I ever had in my life after my parents died. Mm-hmm. She's like a mother. I tell her everything. She cries with me. And she, she tells me the truth. She's like, I, I'm ashamed of what happened to us. How can they use our name to be able to, to kill people? Mm-hmm. You also, if I understand correctly, had one brother who survived because he was in Senegal at the time. Yeah, he, that's true. I have a brother who is alive and he, he does have a guilt, you know? And it's something, of course, I know it exists, and I completely honor that feeling because, you know, people have it. Mm-hmm. You can't have a feeling, is what you have. Mm-hmm. My brother has that feeling. And I have tried to reason him before, thinking that he will get me, but no, you don't even touch. Because I don't have it. Then, because I feel like I died with people, and I survived, and I think they are much better off. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the pain you go through after when they are resting. And besides, we will all die. You know, we, we are here to me to pass this test of love. No matter what we go through, the challenges, obstacles are. But in the end, we all die. So when my brother is feeling this, I'm like, can't you see that at least we are two? You know, I'm not alone and I have you, you have me. I think, I know, but I can reason with my head. But my heart still feels guilty for living. I don't know why. So I, I just pray for him. And you know, he has been becoming better, slowly. Mm-hmm. After my book came out, Left to Tell, 
and he came, I remember I invited him in Las Vegas where there was speaking and he was so happy to be there. And at the end of the speaking, people came to him and they told him that the story of my, our parents are inspiring them to live a better life. Like they feel like they are, my dad is in their home helping them to be better fathers. Mm-hmm. My brother came to me after he's like, for the first time, I feel like they're not dead. I feel like they're still alive. Mm-hmm. You know, from what people are saying, it, it really leaves my heart. Mm-hmm. That was a big gift for my brother. So he slowly is healing through this book, through sharing, through people's feedbacks. You know, after the genocide in Rwanda, like the Western governments all promised, you know, this will never happen again. And and time and time again, you know, we see governments and people saying we won't allow this to happen. But then time and time again, it does. We see what's been happening recently in Sudan. We see what's been happening in Congo over the last 12 years. What do you know when we say never again and when there are so many survivor stories to tell because these things keep on happening? Why is it that we don't intervene, and why is it you think that we don't learn these lessons properly enough? I think because we are looking at the wrong answer. The wrong answer, the right answer is that, I mean, first of all, we can't just say never again without doing action. Mm-hmm. We start with the, the decision, like that is a beautiful thing, and then we start with the intention, is a beautiful thing, mm-hmm. but there has to be action. And for me, the answer to never again is, can we wake up everybody, every conscience, to really remind people, be a loving person every day. In Rwanda, people were thought of by the government, who used to punish you for being bad by rewarding you now for being bad. Giving Christ if you kill people, innocent people. So if you are not grounded in your heart, if you're not grounded in love, and knowing that no matter who, no matter what, no matter how much money, I will not go to do any wrong that can hurt another person. We're going to see more genocide over and over. Mm-hmm. And if we care about the right answer, then we have to put effort in what is with that right answer. You know, when I see when they're speaking to people, reminding them, be kind, be kind. We need more people like that. Who can really shout louder? Love is the answer, no matter what the situation is. You can be sleeping under the ground as long as you are loving. Then we can really have hope mm-hmm. that their genocide will not happen. Mm-hmm. But we can have more money, more arms. It will happen if the hearts are in the wrong places. So we have a, a, a problem with with the mind and the way people think, and that's just resulting in, in, in things like what, what you experienced. In, in, exactly, yeah. And if we really care as the world... Then we start to put our resources where we teach our kids to consider each other, to respect each other, not to bully each other, mm-hmm. to care for one another, not to hurt each other. You know, so, and, and that is, I mean, in, the, in Rwanda, they planted the genocide seeds for like 50 years mm-hmm. in schools. Every single week, we will wake up, we will get up in the school, we were like eight years old. You have to ask you, who are you? Are you Tutsi? Are you Hutu? You don't even know. And you have to stand up. And they have to remind you, you are a Tutsi or you are a Hutu. They put the seeds of hatred from the before. And so we must put the seeds of love. Where we really remind people, be yourself. Choose God, choose love, no matter how you surprise evil is. 
When you speak to audiences, and of course you're speaking to an audience right now, what's the one message, if they just take one message away from your story, what's the one thing that you'd like to tell all of our listeners? I really want to remind people, if I can forgive, anyone can forgive. You see, we hurt each other, sometimes intentionally or without intention. Mm-hmm. And sometimes we, we get misunderstood. And then when we get angry and we don't have that decision within to forgive and to try to forgive, we can get angry at people with reason or without reason. Mm-hmm. To truly know if I can forgive, anyone can forgive. And we must try harder. And true forgiveness is love. Mm-hmm. You don't forgive because other people are small and are bad. You forgive them and you root for them to want them to change, to be better. Right. Ladies and gentlemen, that was Immaculate Ella Begiza being interviewed by myself, Jonathan Van Maren. We hope that you all really enjoyed this interview and we're quite excited about some upcoming interviews that we have over the next several weeks as well. So please join us next Thursday again at 1.30 p.m. on AM 530. We hope you enjoyed your time with us today and we all hope you have a great weekend.